welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Matt and Ross. Matt and Ross, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Ross going first? Certainly. I'm Ross Dawson. I'm a futurist and have focused on professional services for a couple of decades now. Superb. And Matt? Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Emmert. I'm a solution director in SAP's professional services industry team, and uh, our team looks after our solution portfolio for SAP's professional services customers and are working between the field and product development to uh, help shape our roadmap moving forward. And over the last few years, I've worked on some of our emerging areas like digital and, and outcome-based business models. Um, and I absolutely love talking about this industry. On the surface, it looks uh, really simple. You know, you provide people who apply knowledge and solve problems, but you know, there's a lot of interesting nuance, kind of balance of art and science, um, and also a lot of change going on in how firms are selling their knowledge um, and also organizing their talent. So really excited to be here to, to talk to you today. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Okay, so I'm I'm picking up a professional services theme, I think, from, from you two guys. That's great. So what's going on in the professional services sector? It's not a sector I know that well. So, you know, fill me in. Maybe, maybe Ross, you want to kick off? Well, the professional services are at the center of the economy. You know, this <laughs> is where more and more we've moved from the physical world to the virtual world to the ethereal world. And this virtualization of the economy has been expressed in knowledge. Knowledge is the heart of the economy and professional services is manifestation. And what we've seen is not just professional services growing as a sector, the expertise in professional services has fueled the growth of every other sector, enabling them to be more efficient, to expand more broadly, to globalize, to seize the opportunities. So more and more professional services are moving to the center of the economy. But there are many challenges in professional services, uh, amongst them that uh, there's many competition between different sectors, they are going, they are more and more crossing boundaries. We're seeing new players emerge, but there's also these opportunities uh, offset against these challenges where these professional services need to be more and more focused to draw on the expertise of the talent to be able to create value for clients. And there's this, these deep challenges and opportunities where professional services are really now caught in a storm out of which they need to transform into this new era, which uh, I believe is coming for the services sector. Okay, Matt, any, any anything to add to that? What kind of trends in market dynamics are we seeing at the moment? Yeah, I like how, how Ross put it, that um, professional services is at the center of a lot of industries. And to kind of uh, follow up on that theme, you know, we see industry lines blurring quite a bit. So if you think about you know, aircraft engine manufacturers are now selling aircraft engines by the hour. So Rolls-Royce is doing that now. Professional services firms at the same time are trying to figure out how to more productize their services and turn their solutions into, into complete solutions. So how can they 
look at digital delivery models. So at the end of the day, a professional services firm is about kind of applying knowledge to solve customer problems. You know, can they do that digitally? Can they collect data and sell the data or sell analytics around them to solve specific problems? You know, and then taking it a step further, an airline doesn't want to pay buy an aircraft engine and have to worry about maintaining it. They just they just want an aircraft engine to work on their airplane. At the same time, professional services customers want outcomes. You know, they don't want to pay you for the hours you put into their projects. They want to pay you for a specific business problem you solve, and then and then want to pay you uh, that way as well. For professional services firms, that means taking on a lot more risk because now, you know, we're not just paid by the hour, we're actually paid by whether we can deliver that outcome or not. So it introduces risk, it introduces new business models. Um, it also potentially opens up, you know, the opportunity to make a lot more revenue, to um, effectively make revenue long, no longer directly dependent on on hiring that next person to put on a customer site. I think it's interesting there. One of the this the, to the degree to which is this has been led by clients and many firms have wanted to say, oh, well, this is the cost of our people. We want to just get a margin plus. But the clients have been pulling, in many cases, the professional services into these new models saying, well, we want outcomes. We want to and we're prepared to pay for them if we get them. We just need to find the right ways to measure them. So it's interesting where, for example, the legal services sector in many ways has been a laggard. But in other ways, it has really been very innovative and many new models in which they are pricing for the value created for their clients. So this is starting to where this this balance, I think there's more and more opportunities for professional service firms to lead their clients, but there's still this pull of the most sophisticated clients in any case, trying to draw these professional firms to themselves. How is it you can help us and uh, in ways that can be measurable and where we can pay you commensurate to the value you create? Interesting. I mean, there has to be a lot of negotiation involved as well in figuring out how do we define when a project is actually complete and when a problem has actually been solved. Is that is that a fair comment? Yeah, I, I can jump in. I, th- I think it's um, I think that's really the heart of the matter, and it's not. It's not easy to do because, um, I mean, think about if you promise a customer you'll increase their sales. You know, how do you how do you draw the line between what you're doing for them and their sales? There's so many factors involved. It's such a complex problem to to just to measure the you know some of these business outcomes. But I think what's really interesting then is how data plays into that. So can we, as we're delivering our services, can we start collecting data? You know, in analytics, it lets us prove the connection between the work we're doing and the outcomes clients are getting and to help kind of build those, you know, build those linkages where we can confidently go and say, yes, we can improve your sales by 5%. And that, you know, that means you'll pay us whatever you know, factor on that. Uh, but I think it gets to the data. And I think data is kind of an underused asset today uh, by many firms. And there's a huge opportunity to really leverage that more to, to deliver these new models. So this, I think, goes to the point of, partnerships, creating value together. And this goes back to the theme of uh, my first book, Developing Knowledge-Based Client Relationships. And in it, I made this distinction between a black box service where the client gets something, but they are literally none the wiser, (laughs) and a knowledge-based relationship where the client is more knowledgeable, has greater capabilities, able to make better decisions. It is uh, a different organization as a result of the engagement. And ultimately, this is around the co-creation of value. What can be done by the firm, the the client, 
and the professional firm together to create something which they could not do separately. And I think to your point, Matt, that data becomes more and more fundamental to this, where firms are spawning an extraordinary amount of data and the firms that can use that to create insight, to feed into decisions, to be able to enhance the capability of those client organizations are the ones which will be rewarded. And just you know, one example, I think, of this kind of deep partnership is between uh, KLM and uh, Boston Consulting Group's digital ventures, where essentially they are creating efficiencies in the operations of KLM and coming together to sell those services to many other airlines around the world. Oh, nice, 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 nice. And go on, Matt, you were going to say? I was going to say, that's, that's a really interesting um, analogy. And it, it just reminded me of a conversation I had with one of our customers a couple of weeks ago on this topic. Um, they, they are actually developing digital solutions for consortiums that allow those consortiums really to share the value. And in their example, it's kind of a funny example, it's potato farmers. <laughs> so they have a consortium of potato farmers that collect data on their yields and on you know the fertilizer usage and, and how that impacts you know various things they do um, um, in terms of the harvesting methods. And they share that data and they all, they have a, you know, a digital mechanism for then sharing the, sharing the benefits of that, which I thought was a fascinating uh, example of that. This goes to the point of ecosystems and, you know, across every sector of the economy, value is created in ecosystems. And that is where the opportunity lies, I believe, for professional firms is not just to serve single clients, but to serve, as you suggest, Matt, consortia or industries to be able to bring together saying, well, not just the data from one firm, but the data from many sectors and to be in the middle to help catalyze an ecosystem which can create value across the economy. So almost like a platform. Potentially, yes. And that, that's where I think the, the true, the, the leaders in professional services are thinking and going. Fascinating, fascinating. And what about AI? Because, I mean, anywhere you have lots of data, you generally need to have some form of AI looking at it to kind of make sense of it for you, because there's generally too much for individual people to parse. I think one of the key points here is that professional services is based on expert humans. Mm -hmm. Now, if we think about AI, this yeah, in some ways it's construed to potentially uh, to substitute for humans, but of course, in the case of professional services, it's a complement. So this is now the frame for professional services, where the next generation of professional services firms must be, is being able to complement AI with deep human expertise to be able to create value. That's not something which the client firms are likely to be able to do, but the professional firms and be able to bring together that collective intelligence of their experts within their firms and potentially beyond, supported by AI to be able to create capabilities, really points to the future organization of all kinds where the exemplars can be in professional services. Absolutely. What's interesting is I think we see we see some technology disruptors coming into the market that's that started as technology startups, and but they're figuring out how to apply technology to solve problems that that may be complemented by people and professional services. In um, one example, that is a there's a one of our customers, IQVIA, works in the life sciences space, and they have this longitudinal healthcare data that kind of relates, um, you know, doctors, patients, and patient outcomes 
you know, with the medication that's been prescribed. And they provide a CRM solution combined with data, combined with analytics that they can provide to life sciences companies kind of as a complete solution that says, okay, you know, which doctors do we need to go talk to to, to you know to, to better organize our products and even our R and D organizations. Um, LegalZoom is another example in the legal space that kind of attacked this with AI, you know, automating a lot of the um, uh, kind of legal work that um, you know that, that previously junior junior lawyers figured out. Different companies are coming at this from different directions, um, and I think a lot of the larger professional services firms are kind of looking at these disruptors as a you know as a potential threat and trying to figure out okay how can we you know how can we become more like them. So I think one of the key points there is, I mean, as you suggest, Matt, and you know, and taking off our earlier conversation, that the largest professional firms in the world are all providing AI as a platform service. So their client firms don't necessarily have all of those AI capabilities internally, but the best professional firms are saying, yes, we have human experts, but we also have the tools and the platforms where we can use your data, understand which aspects of your data we can take in order to be able to build these into better outcomes for your clients. So this is where we're seeing more and more convergence uh, in uh, across different uh, large professional services sectors in building these AI platforms for uh, value creation their clients to complement the experts uh, in their firms. But this is also creating a bit of a divide between the smaller professional firms, which either need to be highly focused or to p- play other roles in that uh, professional services uh, value creation. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point, the, the difference between the smaller professional services firms and the larger ones. The larger ones have obviously more scope, but the smaller ones can go, can focus and go deeper. Is that, is that a pattern you're seeing throughout? Yes. Well, I suppose more broadly, we're seeing this, there's always this pull where we're seeing this consolidation in the large firms. Uh, in some cases, consolidation across professional services sectors or uh, globalization, absolutely, in many of the professional services sectors. However, what we've seen is the middle has found it more and more challenging, but there have been many upstarts, as you know, Matt mentioned, some small firms with some very different mentalities that are coming in and providing more focused, arguably better uh, value than many of the, the large professional firms have. And this is now this dynamic between the very focused, uh, you know, highly sectoral, specialized small firms who can outperform the very large firms that do have the broader scope. Yeah, that's that. That's an, there's an interesting dynamic that I've seen, which is the uh, like you, as you said, the smaller focus firms can sometimes outperform uh, because they're focused on kind of a specific niche, a specific industry problem that they're going after that they're bringing these multiple, you know, solutions together to fix. In a lot of the larger firms, we see you know client demand kind of driving them to do something, but they don't necessarily have kind of an overarching strategy for doing this. They sort of are. Are delivering these things by hook and by crook, and so a lot of times you go on you go on the website and you'll see hundreds and hundreds of problems that were all, you know, developed in individual projects that they're trying to productize, you know, but there's no kind of central strategic R and D organization or strategic central driver. It's a lot of kind of independent practices within these larger firms that are doing this, 
you know, we I, you know, I would see a significant opportunity, you know, if you can systematize this, these, these approaches kind of within your overall strategy, you know, figure out culturally, organizationally and systematically, you know, how can we how can we deliver these things? Um, I think that I think we're going to see that uh, uh, develop quite a bit over the next 10 years or so. Which I think goes to a theme, which is uh, one which has been central to my work for a couple of decades, and I think is is also a central theme for SAP's work in professional services, which is talent networks, where the reason why you go to a large firm is that arguably you can access the best person or the best expertise or the best resource or the best relationship within the entire firm to be able to meet your problem. But that often doesn't happen. Hmm. What what you and so this is now the, again the design you know these are again examples which can be used in other industries across all organizations but in professional services they must have a network structure you must be able to know where the the right yeah, expertise and capability resides and to be able to tap that and combine that with the other complementary expertise to be able to build on the fly the teams, the expertise, the resources to address the unique challenge of your client. So this is where the technology and the culture and the ways of working and the the process and the structures of the firms all must support effective networks to bring the right resources to bear as they are required. Interesting, interesting. I mean, of course, the big problem, I guess, with any any professional services organization is the good the the they have the talent, but it doesn't scale. I mean, it, you can only one person can only work X hours per day, and unless you have some form of AI which can replicate them, you know, not clone them, but you know, <laughs> bring in some kind of extra augment augment uh, augmentation of their their work then you can start to scale them a bit, but it's still it's still challenging, right? This is a, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more, but I just one thing I just want to say is uh, point to what uh, John Hagel, you know, industry veteran, uh, talks to, which is the move from scalable efficiency, was what the last century of last organization was about. You sort of get economies of scale to scalable learning. Mm. That is what organizations must build. And that is about the individual and the organization working in tandem so that learning can be scaled within the professional firm and scaled across into the client firm as well. Nice. Matt, did you have a, were you going to jump in there? Yeah, yeah, that's um, the, the talent network is such an interesting piece of this um, because it's such a mix of you know, our employees you know, the learning that we can provide them and how they kind of progress external talent pools. You know, even I've, Ross, I've heard you talk about virtual kind of virtual delivery models, um, which is also really interesting. And then how does automation play into that? So automation, not only from how can we use data and processes to, you know, deliver digitally to our client, but how can we use that internally to kind of augment our own, um, our, our own services? You know, and we even see on the supply side, like staffing companies trying to figure out, you know, staffing is traditionally a very low margin business, um, but they're trying to figure out how they can start building virtual delivery models, you know, where they may have a skeleton crew of experts, but they just rely on their external consulting network to bring together dynamically to deliver services to, to, to end customers. So that's a, um, uh, you know, absolutely fascinating topic where, you know, where AI is, is certainly in the, in the center of. 
Okay, very good. And I mean, we've we've mentioned a couple of times the movement towards kind of the outcome based models, the kind of you know professional services as a service. I guess is what, what we'd be calling that. Um, why why is that happening? And and how do you make it happen? I mean, I know in SAP, for example, we're shifting to the as a service model with the shift to cloud, which is essentially the same thing. Uh, how how do you make it happen in a professional services firm? I think why it's happening, I think, and we touched on this at the beginning, I think a lot of it is clients are demanding it. So clients want to pay for outcomes, not you know, not how much time you put in. Um, at the same time, professional services firms want to achieve more non-linear revenue growth so they don't have to hire the next consultant to deliver the next um, unit of revenue. Um, a lot of firms, not necessarily partner-owned firms, but uh, firms traded on the equity markets, they, they want to start getting the valuations that software companies get, you know, not that services companies get, which, you know, if you look at, you know, the opportunity to, you know, build a product once and sell it many times with no, you know, no, no real additional cost, um, that is significantly higher. So I think, I think those are a lot of the drivers. I think, you know, when we talk to our customers, some of the things standing in the way, um, culture is a big thing. Um, so I think, you know, management culture, we're now, you know, we need to think about longer term investment cycles, where if I'm a partner owned organization, I may not want to, you know, invest in something that delivers revenue five years from now, and I might be retired. <laughs> you know, you have a sales culture, you know, where you've got salespeople who just want to go out and solve the exact customer problem. Uh, but but now they have a product which doesn't do everything. It's a different. It's kind of a different way of selling, you know. And you even have a um, like an engineering culture. You need to start building things. So how can how can we do that? So one interesting thing is we we've we've seen companies try to tackle this. It's it's tough. Um, one of our customers is looking at joint ventures where you know they might acquire the company, bring in their professionals to be on their services team, and put the engineers in a joint venture that delivers products that then they resell. So I think I think firms are moving toward this and and trying to figure trying to figure this model out. Um, and Tom, you put it you you put it. This is exactly analogous, analogous to how kind of on-premise software companies have become cloud companies. Yeah, like now they have to sell on subscriptions. They have to sell products that customers you know are willing to renew in 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 three years. Um, and so it's I, I think that's very similar. Yeah, all the all these sales incentives change. All the, you know, the the, the requirements to meet customers' demands change. So there are so many changes. It 